Not right. Am I on? Oh, there. Got so many buttons. When I was young, we just stood up and talked to a few people. Now we have to PA and all that. Thank you. It's good to be able to speak to you this morning in this holiday season. What a great season of the year as we uh, prepare for Christmas. Soon be here. See all the lights. I also want to say thank you for the decorations. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, sanctuary. But uh, all the shopping, the festivities. Uh, but there's a verse in the Bible that's been on my mind that I want to get right into the Word of God this morning. And uh, as we move into the Christmas season, more and more, I have found that John 12, 27 has spoken to me. Uh, perhaps you remember that I referred to it last week just in passing at the communion service. Didn't know I'd be preaching today. But... Um, it's a saying from Jesus as he was going to the cross here in John 12, 27. Jesus said, for this cause, I came into the world. For this reason, I'm here for this hour. Like the New Living Translation, which I use most of the time when I'm reading my devotions. For this very reason, I came. We hear a lot about trying to remind people and our, remind our children to remember the meaning of Christmas and what it really means. Uh, is all about, why Jesus came, and whose birthday it really is. We give gifts to each other, but his birthday is one we're celebrating. And uh, he himself said, for this cause, I came into the world. You might say, well, what was the cause? He said, to give my life a ransom for many. As we sang in the uh, beautiful courses this morning, it really spoke this message he said, I want to bring many people back to glory, back to heaven with me. And I remember the phrase, uh, what the meaning of Christmas was when I, from when I was a boy. It's been around a long time. Pastor Fred used it as he emceed the ladies' tea Thursday night. And I've seen it on church signs all over anymore. You've heard it, I'm sure, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. I remember when I was little how I thought that was so clever, the rhyme and all the reason for the season. But it's still true. Still is true today. It's all about him, as Pastor Johnson said this morning. There was a great message in the movie last Monday night where we saw a whole community learn and know that Christmas has a capital C because it's referring to Christ. Christ in Christmas. And that's the reason for the season. I want us to consider this morning in the Word of God one particular miracle of Jesus that constitutes a unique and a striking illustration of why Jesus came. And that's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 found in John chapter 6. If you want to look at it or it'll be on the board as we come to it. But John 6 is where the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is. And uh, I know you might say, well, that's not exactly a Christmas story. But it is exactly the reason that Jesus came. He came as the bread of life. To do what? To feed, to care for, to, to satisfy the needs of humanity, to uh, care for the starving multitudes who need a Savior. And it's a familiar story, but it's a tremendous picture of why he came. As you know, Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. And here in this story, he is feeding bread to the multitudes as a, as a type, you might say. He also said in John uh, that I am the way, the truth, and the 
life. He said, I am the bread. He said, I am the life. Put it together, we've got the bread of life. And the importance uh, with which the Holy Spirit who inspired our scriptures attaches his miracles indicated by uh, him choosing actually four versions, one in each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four versions of the miracle of the 5,000. It's amazing. This is not true of any other of the Lord's miracles or his healings. In fact, very few incidences of his life. For example, we do not have four records of Christ's birth. We don't have four records of his baptism or his temptation or his transfiguration or his ascension back to heaven. Not four versions of any of them. There are only four versions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they usually deal with the end of his life. There's only those few elements that are in it, such as the agony in the garden, the trial and crucifixion, condemnation, death, burial, and resurrection, and the, finally the Great Commission. Those are the ones. And with those events which shaped the end of Jesus' life, also included by the direction of the Holy Spirit, is the feeding this particular miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only one. I think it's interesting that it's in each of the Gospels, and therefore, it must be significant. We need to find out what did God do besides just work a miracle. The reason I believe this, that it's much more than simply one among miracles. It's a parable as well as a miracle. Parables are what teach us. It's his teaching that comes through this miracle. You might ask, a parable of what? It's a parable illustrating why Jesus came. I really believe that when Jesus broke that material bread to appease the hunger of the multitude on the shores of Galilee that evening, he had in his visions an infinitely, an infinitely larger multitude of men and women all over the world, across all the centuries, starving not for material bread, but for the bread of life. And that he wrought this miracle, not merely to satisfy the physical hunger of those before him, but to unfold before his disciples back then and ever since then, the divine method of giving out, giving the gospel of salvation to the earth's perishing multitudes. A picture. The reason for this, and that we should regard this as a parable, it could be called a parabolic miracle, parable miracle, if you will. There are three statements made about Jesus in this parable. Matthew says of him, first, that he saw. Secondly, he felt. And finally, that he acted. As you see on the screen, that he saw suggests vision. That he felt suggests compassion. And that he acted suggests consecration. And I want to say this why I believe that's why Jesus came and left heaven to be our Savior. And that's what Christmas is really all about. It's a great missionary uh, lesson that stands out in this parable that I believe we need to see and realize the need for vision, the need for compassion, and the need for consecrated Action. The Lord wanted his disciples here in this event to share these things, to share his vision, to share his compassion, and get involved in sharing his consecrated action. It wasn't just back then, it's now. 
Jesus did more than just come as a baby on Christmas morning to grow up, do good deeds, bless people. He shared himself, shared his life for us. I know that he wants us today as his disciples to, again, share him, share his love, share his compassion, his care, his works, and above all, share his message with everybody. As you know, um, most of you, unless you're visiting today, I go to India quite often because of a burden that I have for the people there. And I really feel it fits these three points because of, number one, the vision of a dark and needy land there in India and uh, the people there. It's grown in a compassion from a vision, number one, to a compassion for the people to see what we can do. And that, number three, has resulted in action on fitting within my calling to what? Help people, train future pastors, teach leaders in this modern day to go out to people without a shepherd, to the multitudes of sheep without a shepherd. I mentioned on my last trip, I was privileged to go into Indonesia and see the hunger and the prayer for revival for the Lord to feed the multitudes. I pray that that catches fire in us. For years, we have been the sending agency. Wouldn't it be interesting if Asia sends a message back to us for revival? We need to stand for those kind of things. And I want a vision for the world. For our church, I want a vision that multitudes that Jesus came to reach can be reached. That we would have a compassion to pray and reach out the best we can here at Christian Life. And that we might follow that with action, no matter the cost. Sometimes it is inconvenient or how difficult it is. We have to fulfill what Jesus came to do and called us to accomplish in our lives here on this earth. And I need his vision. I need his compassion. And I need a power for action. That's why he came to reach and redeem people. Even people that, are, that don't want it. People that are satisfied or self-sufficient. They need the Lord too. As well as the needy the sinful, the desperate people of his creation. That thought of vision runs all the way through the Bible. Remember the Old Testament prophet that said, without a vision, the people perish. And I'm saying it's more all for a fresh vision, clear, arresting vision of the whole world to break upon the church of Christ. A vision that would constrain all of our Christians to lift up our eyes and look unselfishly beyond our own narrow boundaries and local interests, to share our Savior's burden, the one he had when he came to reach the world. That was his burden for coming. That's why we have Christmas. Amen? We have a vision of people perish. Let's catch the vision this morning. We always hear to, oh, you got to remember the reason for his coming. And, and uh, we explained it a lot of ways, even to our children. But I really felt the Lord... Uh, I don't want to say the Lord put sickness on Daryl. I wouldn't believe that. But I, I, think, I think it's just wonderful he asked me to come and share. And I thought, I want to share why this all took place. From a simple story, from a simple miracle. 
Uh, I want you to think this morning of the awful fact that 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, there are hundreds and millions still living and dying today without ever hearing a word about Jesus Christ. We need a vision. We need a compassion. And yeah, we need action. That's why we're pushing along those lines. These are the areas of the world and and that, that haven't heard, but I want to say there are some people right here at home. I heard of a person recently, never heard the name of Jesus, an adult, never heard why he came and so on. And uh, here is a word where the task of introducing Jesus, why he came into the world, is not merely to be finished. Some places it has yet to begin. We need to pray. We need to go. We need to give. We need to be be filled with compassion. Look at these three things with me. First of all, I've been preaching about the need for vision. We've just shared that. Secondly, is the need for compassion. I've been part of a church since I was a kid. My folks were pastors in churches. I've been in church since I was born. My mother used to play the piano, and uh, when I could barely sit up, she had me sit on a piano bench while she played. Took care of me. So I've been in church even before I understood what they were saying. And uh, during a time, I've heard a lot, a lot of missionary appeals, even as a teenager. As you have, I've seen some dramatic, heart wrenching pictures uh, of the need. And uh, in our youth group, I can remember when I was a teenager, we used to come to the altar after a missionary thing and, and we would feel really bad. We would pray. It was a burden on our heart. But now, after I've been to the fields where oppression and poverty resides, and there's no way out for these people. There's no way out. You can't help but feeling a compassion. More than a pity, a compassion for people who have never, ever even had the opportunity to hear that Jesus came to bring deliverance and hope for them. We read here in this story that Jesus lifted up his eyes and beheld the great multitude and said he was moved with compassion toward them. He was not simply touched for a, a moment of mild pity, like when we see a sad play or, or we read a sad book and then we can forget about it, all about it in the busyness and the business of life. No, it wasn't anything but that he was moved. Jesus was moved with compassion. That, that compassion is a very strong word, which actually means suffering together with. Compassion, suffering together with. He actually suffered in his compassion for men and women. His heart broke for sorrowing and suffering and sinning humanity. And that's why he came. That's why he left heaven. That's why we have Christmas. I know I love the story of the little baby in the manger and the excitement of Christmas and all these things. But it goes on down the line to about 30 years later when he went to the cross. That's why he came, because he was moved with compassion. That same statement is repeated in Matthew 9, 36. Approximately the same words. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And then he gives a reason for his compassion, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd. That's the need for compassion. Also this morning, I'd like to give the third thing, which is the need in this miracle for consecrated action. For consecrated action. Jesus not only saw 
and felt, but he also acted. He came up with a conclusion, with a, with a project. See, emotion, just feeling it, is never a satisfactory substitute for action. Any of us could be moved by a story. But emotion is never a substi- satisfactory substitute for action. The only compassion that is real, the only compassion that really counts is the compassion that pours itself out some way in a practical way, in a material way, to help accomplish the reason or the purpose for which Christ came. And that was to seek and to save the lost, to share his love with the lost and dying humanity. In this story, as I was reading it, there are two disciples that are actually mentioned. The first one is Philip. In John 6, 5, Jesus said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? You know the story. I'm not reading it all because they were been there a long time and were faint and, and they had to go home and it was getting late. And Jesus said, where can we buy food for all these people? There was no uncertainty in Jesus' mind because the next phrase says he already knew what he was going to do. He knew what the answer was. He knows today what the answer is. But he asked us, what are we going to do about it? Notice Jesus has never been embarrassed by a situation. He is never at a loss on how to meet a situation. He has a plan to feed these hungry people. If only his disciples will catch that vision. If only his disciples will respond to it and cooperate. The truth is Christ alone is the bread of life. The gospel is the only remedy for sin and the need of this world. And that's why he came. Philip began to figure it all up. Look at the size of the crowd. There were thousands of out there. How much bread would it take? Can you just see Philip with his calculator? Uh, how much is bread costing these days? How big is this crowd? Multiply that by how many, how each one, how much will they need? And Philip never did get to the actual answer. His best conclusion in John 6, 7, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. All he could figure is how much they didn't have. Never got to what they did have. Our calculations, many times, what we can do will never be enough to meet the needs of humanity and society. You can figure, what, what can we do about it? We'll never get there. But if, just a little miracle on his part to multiply that thing will accomplish his will. But he needs people to stand in the gap. Second disciple I want to mention that Jesus talked to is named Andrew. And Andrew said... There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two small fishes. He came nearer to Jesus' thought of what he was going to do. At least I got some food here. But then he nearly spoiled this suggestion by adding, but what are they among so many? Got an answer here, but it's not going to (laughs) work. How many times we got, well, it's not really going to work with my neighbors. It's really not going to work. But here it is, Lord. The Lord didn't even acknowledge but what are they amongst me? He didn't even answer that part of it. What good, you know, like what good would that do? Jesus promptly gave the word, make the men sit down. Get them in groups of 50. It's almost like, Mark, Andrew, you've hit the mark. Now let's get to work. See, Jesus 
And the little lad with his lunch cooperated to get the lad that they worked on. Power of Jesus with what the little lad had was what he could use. Sure, Jesus could have done the whole miracle without the little lad or without the disciples. But I'd like to remind you today that God has always used the human factor to work out his purpose. I could take you to the book of Acts because uh, I teach it a lot and show you how many times that God could have done it, but he sent angels to say, go up to, Cornel- go up to Peter and per- Peter will come down and talk to you. He'll tell them what to do to find a person that's going to bring that food uh, to them. Obviously, Jesus could have done it without the boy's lunch, but the point is, he did not do it without him. God uses people. You say, we can't use me. I like pointing, he, he even uses little people. The reason I use the word little lad, because in the Greek, that's the actual meaning of the word, is little lad. He can use little things. Even times when we are weak as we feel sometimes, God can use us because we are the ones with a story to tell. We are the ones that Jesus came and revealed himself to. I could say that because of, God can use it because of powers of God and not of ourselves. And we need to get in that place. God's plan is all of us give out the bread of life. All of us take what he's given to us and give it out to the people around us who need to hear the message of Jesus and his love. There's a long list in the Bible of little people and little things that God used to accomplish his will and purpose. But that's another message. And I believe that God can and wants to use each one of us. So I hope nobody's going to say, well, God can't use me or job's too big or I'll never get it done. My calculator only goes this far. Let's stop our calculations and let the power of God begin to work through us. That'd be a good place for an amen. Amen. Let me offer just one more word in closing here. The account of this distribution of the loaves as recorded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 14, 9 reads, He blessed it and he broke the loaves and he gave the loaves to his disciples And his disciples fed the multitude. Jesus blessed it. He broke it. Gave the loaves to his disciples. The disciples gave it to the multitude. Who gave it out? Who gave it out? The disciples passed it out. I want you to notice the word word order here. There are three words that stand out. The loaves, disciples, and the multitude. Where do we find the disciples? Disciples are between the loaves and the multitude. How do the loaves get to the multitude? Through the disciples. Loaves to disciples to multitude. The great miracle is, and hit me one day, thinking about this, where did the miracle actually take place? It couldn't have been in Jesus' hands. He couldn't hold enough bread and fish to feed Thousands of people. It didn't happen in the little groups of the multitude sitting in 50s. There was a plane came, dropped 50 lunch boxes over the little group, and there's your miracle. It happened as Jesus gave bread and the disciples gave it out. It never stopped flowing. 
Jesus performed the power. The disciples were just the channel, and it just kept going and going and going. And the more you give out, the more there'll be to give out. The more you work for God, the, the more he'll bless you. It just continues to pour because of the blessing. The miracle and the provision just kept on happening until the multitude heard, the multitude were filled, the multitude were satisfied because God gave bread through the hands of the disciples. And Jesus still works that same way today. As we have received the truth, as we know the whole message and the story, as we receive the life that men and women need, what do we do? We pass it along. We give it out. And a miracle will continue to be received by the perishing multitude of mankind as we continue to give it out. That's why I go to the mission field. That's why we take up a missionary offering. That's why we give an altar call at the end of every service. That's why we preach. That's why we explain. See, when Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as we're celebrating this Christmas, he took on the responsibility on himself for a lost world. And he went resolutely to the cross and there offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And on that cross, he said, it is finished. I don't think it was a whisper. I think it was a triumphal cry. It is finished. It's all done. And then he rose from the dead, returned back to heaven. But just before he left, he gathered this little group of disciples around him and gave them what we call the Great Commission. I'd like to paraphrase it for you because I think what he said in effect was, I've done my part by coming. I've done my part by providing salvation for the whole world. Now it's your part to carry this message of salvation to every creature. The way he put it in Acts 1 is, you be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world or to the end of the age, to the end of the world. In other words, using the language of our miraculous parable today, the risen Christ placed in the hands of his disciples the loaves, the bread of life, to be distributed to the whole world, to our world today. So it's the responsibility of all of us to tell the Christmas story of his love and the coming of our Savior because it's been passed from one generation to the next generation for two millennia. And it's clear down to this day, which is ours, the last day. And that's the real meaning of Christmas. That's what I want to say this morning. That's the reason for the season. Would you stand with me? And I'd like for all of us to conclude this message by quoting together John 3, 16, many of you know it, but it'll be on the screen behind you. Let's repeat it together. Ready? Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you haven't received, if you don't have that message, if you haven't received Jesus as your personal gift of salvation, I can't think of a better time than Christmas to do it. After the service last night, a lady met me in the back corner and she said, I just want to tell you, it was Christmas Eve 41 years ago that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. She could keep track of it because she knew the time. And I'll tell you, you can't find a better time.
And um, Pastor Darrell's going to come a moment and, and pray with you. But uh, how about making this Christmas season, 2011, the time you remember giving your heart to the Lord? Or if you're already a Christian, how about 2011 be the year that you caught the vision? You were moved with compassion. And you begin to act with dedication for what God wanted. Pastor Darrell's going to come and lead us in prayer. If you do accept Christ, there's folders up here. Prayer team is going to be over here to pray with people afterwards. Pastor Darrell, come and close. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And uh, as we just conclude our time together, Pastor Merrill's right. There's no better time. And last night we had a, a little boy that came forward and he, he grabbed his salvation packet last night. Couldn't be more than 10 years old. Beaming with a smile on his face. He started coming to church maybe a couple weeks ago with his family. And um, today is the day of salvation. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about. He looks down. He sees us. He has compassion on us. He came. He died on a cross for our sins. And I want to invite you today to make that uh, your prayer. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you want to turn your heart over to him and, and go his way rather than your own way, I want you to pray this prayer and repeat it after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. I just want to pray for you now. and I'm so glad if that is your hard cry and, and, and uh, God's come in and he's made you all new. But as we just pray here together at the conclusion, I just want to talk to all of us that know Jesus because as Pastor Merrill was preaching this message and these words that he pulled out of these, this story, I was thinking about our lives. And as we just have our eyes closed with a quiet meditation before we walk out these doors, the idea that we're called by God to see and to feel and to act on his behalf in this world. As he was preaching, I was thinking about how busy we are at Christmas, how overwhelmed we get. And sometimes we're moving so fast, we are just numb as we go through the motions. But God called us, no matter how busy we are, to stop and see the world with his eyes. To feel his compassion for the world. And not to sit idly by, but to act on his behalf. To be the body of Christ to the world. And so I want to pray for us as we go that it wouldn't be so hectic that we miss what God wants us to do, what he's done for us and what he's called us to do for the world. And so let me pray for you before we go. Lord, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the insight that Pastor Merrill brought out from this marvelous miracle. God, I thank you that even as we prayed for salvation, God, you saw us, you had compassion on us, and, and you acted on our behalf. And 
God, now you call us to do the same. But Lord, I pray that in the busyness of all the different programs we go to, of all the stores we shop in, of all the parties we go to, and, and, and Lord, just how overwhelmed we might feel this time of the year. In this quiet moment, we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we would slow down enough to see and to feel and to act as you would, Jesus, this Christmas. Lord, we love you today more than anything else in this world, more than any party we could go to, any present we could give or receive. God, we love you more. So, Holy Spirit, just put that inside of us as we go. As we love you, may we see with your eyes, feel with your heart, and be your hands and your feet to this world. God, we love you today. We honor you. We worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord together, isn't it? At church. And I want you to receive the blessing before you go. If you gave your heart to Jesus Christ or you want to make a fresh start with him, we do have a packet for you. It's got a Bible in there. It's got some other information just to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. I do encourage you to come back next week as we celebrate the joy of the Lord. And the choir will be presenting. The kids will be doing part of that presentation. But they're also going to have their happy birthday, Jesus. And then next weekend, we have our uh, Christmas uh, gatherings and homes in our community groups. You can sign up for that in the lobby. And you can buy some treats for our young people and support their ministry here at the church. So there's so much that you can do in the lobby. But please do not miss tonight. Please come back tonight and, and uh, take some flyers with you. Invite some people before you go. And uh, again, we want to see everybody back tonight. Um, and let's receive the blessing of the Lord tonight. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing that rests upon us this Christmas season. And I pray... God, that we would be that same blessing, your eyes, your heart, your hands to this world, God, as we go. Keep us safe, keep us strong until we can gather together again as a church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make sure you fellowship with one. Yes, give the Lord a hand clap. It is good to be in church, isn't it? Fellowship with one another. Sign up in the